Hey, what's up? Welcome back to the podcast. You're listening to the Blair Wheeler Project, and today's guest is Alex Diebold. If you don't know his story, if you don't have you haven't heard him on other podcasts before, Alex is a professional snowboarder. He's a USA Olympian, so that's pretty cool. He's the first Olympian on the show. And uh, last but not least, well, first before that, he works a full time job for Lululemon, which is cool. One of my favorite brands. And uh, he's a golfer. So, Alex, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Blair. I'm psyched to be here. Yeah, man. So, uh, I'm sure a lot of people heard you on Eric's podcast, and uh, we'll probably cover similar topics. But give us a little background on um, your life, how you came to be a, a, a USA Olympian. Um, and we'll get into the golf later. But first, let's talk snowboarding. Yeah. I mean, um, I think with all athletics, like that, it all started in childhood. Like I started snowboarding at age four and I started golfing. I mean, as, as early as I can remember, I actually don't remember the first time I started swinging a golf club, but, um, family was just into the outdoors. I started, uh, skiing when I was two snowboarding when I was four and I, tend, I have this like natural competitive bug. I don't, I don't know where it comes from because it's not from either, of, either of my parents, but, uh, one weekend I got, uh, went up snowboarding and in, uh, from the East coast grew up in Vermont. So you can, if you can ski the East, you can ski anywhere. Yeah. Um, but there was a, there was a snowboard contest and I just went up and I said, Hey mom, can I, can I do this? And she's like, uh, yeah, I'll sign the waiver. And I won. And I think I was about eight years old and that sort of set the hook of, you know, where my, my competitive hunger and drive came from. I loved it. And I, I, uh, ended up competing like every chance I could when I was, you know, through middle school, I ended up going to a, a ski Academy in Vermont. Mm-hmm. My family relocated from Connecticut up to Vermont full time and started competing professionally at 15. And I, I graduated from high school and got named to the U S snowboard team our, our wow. national national team and, uh, have sort of been riding that wave ever since <laughs> mountain riding unintended. the mountain. Yeah. 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 Awesome. So let me ask you this. You said you're really competitive. I am too. My mom, I grew up, my, my dad passed away when I was really little. My mom had me in every sport under the sun and I wouldn't say she's competitive at all. Um, but I am almost to a fault. So what do you hate more? Or, or what, what do you enjoy more winning or not losing? What do I, <laughs> what do I enjoy more? Like, would you rather um, win or would you rather not lose? It, uh, is, if it's a better way to put it. Yeah. I think I'd rather win. I think, I think for me, like if you're, if you're talking about it in a positive aspect yeah. for me, I think I, I want to focus on celebrating the victories mm-hmm. yeah. or uh, fretting the, the failures of which there are way more failures than there are victories. And, uh, so yeah, I would, I, to that, I would say, I definitely love winning more. See, I'm the opposite. I am super competitive and I want to win, but I just do, I just want to not lose more than I want to win. You know, like I get more pissed if like, I don't care if I win by a billion or I win by like, if I win by 10 strokes or I win by one stroke on the course, it's the same to me. But if I lose, it hurts so much more. And especially like I think, when I lose to somebody, I care about losing or winning, you know? Yeah. Yeah. The, in golf, the stakes are a little different for me because it's, it's, you know, it's not a profession. Um, yeah. Same. I mean, I'm an 11 handicap. I don't know about you. Uh, my current handicap is like 7.8, but I, I think it's a little vanity. Honestly, I didn't, I didn't get to play as, as much this past summer. And I think some old rounds are sort of keeping it down, but <laughs> um, what for me, I think they're different. I I think I take things from snowboarding into the game of golf, but in snowboarding, I have these expectations. Like I have dedicated my life to it. I've done it. Yeah. You know, I have spent so many countless hours trying to perfect it. So I have this expectation of winning. Whereas golf, I is more of like a, a, I wouldn't say a newfound passion. I've been playing my entire life, but the competitive aspect, like playing in men's leagues and, and playing skins games with my buddies. And I've, yeah. I've entered a couple tournaments at this point. Like I'm kind of out there to just like test myself. Like it's, it's that's, and that's what I love about golf is like, it's, it's always a competition against me. Yeah. So in those scenarios, I mean, yeah, I guess like when I play, uh, 
I have a group of guys that I play with out here in Utah and um, we play Wolfhammer. Oh yeah. yeah. No, I like the that. No laying up, I, I, I found it through the no laying up boys and um, that I definitely hate losing more like yeah. that. That is a different, different aspect of, of my competitive brain. Um, but that, that came from like two, almost three decades of, of competitive professional competitive experience. And yeah. I think what happened in snowboarding was, I learned to celebrate really small victories that didn't necessarily have to do with my end result. Mm -hmm. And that's what helped me start standing on the podium. Whereas in golf, it's, it's a little bit different because I'll certainly celebrate like a good shot, you know, within a round that I may lose, but the, the pictures for some reason in my brain is just a little bit different. And, and, I hope to get into competitive golf a little bit more. Like I would love to just play in some like local amateur tournaments. Yeah. Um, for no other reason than just, I like getting those, those juices flowing. Same. Um, Same. And I think when, when that starts to happen, I'll probably have to shift my brain a little bit. But when it comes to like a, a Sunday game with my buddies, like, I'm just like you mother, I I'm, I'm out there to try to try and take it. Absolutely, man. And I'm in the same boat. Like I grew up surfing competitively, did NSSAs did, and, if you surf, you know what I'm talking about. If you don't, I did all the, I, I did every amateur circuit you could do. And then I transitioned on to what would be considered or uh, comparative to like mini tours in golf. Um, did that in surfing before I got a job and, and had and quickly decided that I was never going to be a professional in the terms of you're going to make a living off this. Um is that so? The CT is like the the pro tour, right? Like yeah, that's, that's the PGA tour. That's the, the step- PGA tour. That's Kelly Slater, Julian Wilson, comparative to like Justin Thomas and Tiger Woods. Yeah, yeah. And a step so below the tour- that would be the World Qualifying Series, the WQS. QS is what they would call be it. like the Corn Ferry Tour. Okay. Um, I did a handful of WQS events when I was living in California, uh, and a couple before that. So. Yeah. And, but I did pro events in, on the East coast where I'm from, right? Like I did a couple in Florida and I did a couple in North Carolina where I live now and so on and so forth. So, um, but they would be considered like the, uh, mini tours of, of the surf world. What's really interesting to me. And I can sort of tie, I know, um, like Kevin Schultz is a buddy of mine. Oh he, yeah. I know he, Kevin. He's a good friend. He's done some, some QS. He, he just won a QS event last year i think yeah um but following like his journey like sort of through the tiers and ranks and what's interesting is like i compete on the highest level right like the world mm-hmm. it's called for us it's called the world cup and that's yeah. what we do uh season in you know year in year out um between the olympics which is what everybody sort of pays attention to for for snowboarding but there are a lot of times when i will go down a tier uh, and compete on the North American circuit. We call them, for us, they're called NORAMs, North American Cup. Mm-hmm. They have the World Cup and the North American Cup. And it would, in a, in a similar golf analogy, the World Cup is the PGA Tour and the NORAM Cup would be like the Corn Ferry. The yeah. top three winners at the end of the season on the NORAM Tour get to get a World Cup spot for the following year. Yeah. And it's and, the same in surfing, but it's the top. It's changed over the past four years it used to be the the top 10 on the qs would go to the ct and the bottom 10 would fall off uh, it may have changed i can't keep up with the changes that the uh, wsl keeps you know implementing but um, yeah uh, ours is ours is constantly changing too and what's interesting is a lot of people are like oh like why would you go you know you're in the world cup why would you go race in noram and for us because and to draw another golf analogy, a lot of times people, if you think about a PGA tour player, I don't remember like at the beginning of quarantine, VJ Singh went and played a, a corn ferry event. Mm-hmm. And there was a, this bunch, a bunch of uproar, like, what are you doing down here competing? And it's like, well, he's one of the greatest golfers of all time. Like he's earned the right to compete where he wants to compete. Right. Yeah. Like play better. You want to like, like that's, that's sort of one thing to go about. And so sometimes we go down and a lot of the younger kids are like, Oh, are, are you racing for real? Like, what are, what are you doing here? Like you're racing for what, you, 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 you're trying to come take our lunch money. You know, like it's the, the prize money is so nominal, yeah. but the points are really important, right? Like the, the season ending points um, are so important. And we have so few events, you know, you're talking like anywhere from six to eight events a season will, will either punch your ticket to the world cup or not, but mm-hmm. going down and doing those, 
it's such a different style of racing for me. And it is so scrappy and so challenging. And what it does is it's such a great way to like keep my skills sharp and keep me hungry. I would be almost, I, I feel confident saying I would beat almost every Noram racer when they come to the world cup, because the style is bigger, it's bigger, it's faster. It's just, it's just a different art. And yeah. I can't remember the last time I won a Noram. Like I go down and race those and I've, I've had a couple podiums, but um, it's, we call it wolf pack. Like you get thrown to the wolves going to race on the Noram. It's scrappy. It's challenging. Yeah. It'd be like a, always... a Monday qualifier almost like you don't yeah. you expect DJ or, or Justin Thomas or any of the guys at the top level of, of golf to go play money qualifier and then play well throughout that tournament. Right. Like it's completely different. I have friends that do Monday qualifiers and their mindset is a thousand times different than the guys that are only there to play Thursday through Sunday. Yeah. And they know they're going to be in the top 10 no matter what. Yeah. It's, and it, it's just, <clears throat> sometimes there's this, they, people ask you why you do it. You know, like you could get hurt. You know, what we're doing is, is pretty dangerous. And oh, yeah. same with surfing, it's dangerous. Yeah. There's, there's really, there's almost nothing for me to gain and a lot for me to lose. But I've found that like going down and doing those events has been so productive to my racing on the, on the higher level of just like keeping my skills sharp, keeping my head in the game and, you know, reminding me of like, you need to, you need to, you need to work hard and stay what, you know, stay with it because, you don't want to be back down here racing full-time. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you're juggling snowboard racing, like snowcross is what you, you do, right? So snowboard cross. cross yep. Snowboard cross. You're doing snowboard cross at like the highest levels of the sport, but you're also working what a full-time job for Lululemon. How are you juggling like training for snowboarding, actually practicing your sport, training in the gym, but then also your job with Lululemon. Today's episode of Golf and Stuff is brought to you by X Endurance. Now I know what you're thinking. X Endurance doesn't sound like a very golfy name or it's not like a golf brand per se, but it's a supplement company. They're based out of Arizona. Arizona is a hotbed for golf. And I've been using the brand and the products for a, about a month now. And I've been completely blown away. You know, my daily energy levels are up. My uh, mental focus is up. I struggle with ADD myself. I'm not diagnosed with it, but I know I have it. I struggle with ADD, X endurance, their focus, their creatine, and their specifically their extreme endurance has made a drastic impact on me personally. You know, I used to use a pre-workout powder that I took right before I worked out. And my face would start tingling and I know it was time to go, but then there would be a crash at two or three o'clock in the afternoon. With X Endurance, there's none of that. It's sustained energy. It's clean energy. It's great stuff. It helps you function better. I use it before workouts. I use it before golf all the time. So if you're in the market for new supplements, check out X Endurance. And you can shop X Endurance at shop.teamxnd.com backslash Blair Wheeler. Today's episode of the pod is brought to you by Electric Visual. Electric is my go-to when it comes to sunglasses and pretty much anything in the sun, goggles for snowboarding, goggles for wakeboarding, whatever, whatever you're wearing goggles for, sunglasses for, electric's my go-to. I've known Eric and Ian who run the brand for a long time, growing up in the surf industry, working in the surf industry, working in Southern California. I got to be good friends with those guys and when they approached me about doing, working on a deal with them, I was all in. Electric's always been one of my favorite companies, sponsoring people like John John Florence and Pakadowskis and, and the list goes on in the surf world. But now we're in golf and they make hands down the best glasses for golf that I've ever worn. Not only are they, most of them are polarized and made for sport and made for um, performance, but they also look badass. 100%, they're the sickest glasses on the market. You can get your pair today. Use the code Blair20 for 20% off at checkout. Yeah, it is incredibly challenging. Um, I was really fortunate. Lululemon was one of my sponsors. They were oh. one of my sponsors for, for a number of years, and I, I built a lot of really strong relationships within the company. And 
a position opened up and they, they reached out and said like, Hey, is, is this something you'd be interested in? And at first I was like caught totally off guard. And I was like, there's no way I could do that. And then I, you know, I, I talked to a couple other people. I ended up applying, interviewing and realizing that like, I, I don't have a college degree and in snowboarding, even when you compete at the highest level, it's not, it's not even, we don't, we don't make nearly as much money as the guys on the, on the world tour of, of, of surfing do you like, you're yeah. not going to retire and, and cruise into the sunset. Yeah. I know some of the guys, um, I know some snowboarders and, uh, I mean, Sean white is literally the only guy that's making money. Yeah. I mean, there there's, I mean, there's probably 10 snowboarders in the world that are making like a really, really good living. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of professional snowboarders. Yes, there are a ton. And so, excuse me. Uh, I, you know, I needed, I needed an exit strategy. I'm 34 now, which is, you know, I'm in the twilight of my career. And so I took the job as a, as a tool to transition from, from being an athlete to being a, you know, a, a career professional. And I, a, I could not have landed at a better company that's been like patient and supportive of like helping me build the skills I need to be like a, 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 a working stiff. Um, <laughs> and to the same point, I've, I've been on the national team, I think 17 years now I, I've done it my entire adult life. So it's really interesting to switch between the two worlds where when I'm doing certain things for Lululemon, it is, it's really challenging for me. I have to really think through the process of like, okay, how are these communications going to work and who am I going to reach out with and who's my partner in this? And it's exhausting. I go to a world cup race and it is like, so plug and play for me at this you point. Yeah. yeah. You just, I know I have my routines and my habits and I, I've done it for so long. I can just sort of like slot in and I have no expectation that I will be able to race at the highest level that I have in the past, but I still have something left to give. And for me, I have learned at this point that snowboarding, the, the results are great, right? Like it's, I've, I want to get on the podium. I want to have the success, but what I will value the most from my decade plus on the world tour is all the relationships. And you hear it, it's, it, it sounds cliche, but it's true. You know, like yeah. there was a time period when I lived in Colorado where I had more friends in Austria than I did in the town that I lived in, you know, just from, from traveling all over the world. And, you know, you go to battle with these people, like snowboard cross is, is dangerous and it's tough. Um, and you, you built, you form these relationships. And so my idea would was sort of as I transition out, I, I got recruited for work and I had committed to a certain amount of snowboarding to sponsors and, and some things. And I was like, Hey, I, I need this amount of time off. I want to go race and, and sort of say goodbye to snowboarding. And then <clears throat> last year I got on the podium, like sort of out of nowhere, like unexpected. Um, because I know that my like fitness is not peak. It's not what it needs to be to really be competitive at that top level. But yeah. I have, 15 years of experience that I can lean on that allow me to, to sort of stay relevant. Mm -hmm. And so it's insanely challenging to try and juggle the two worlds. Like <clears throat> just finding enough time to do dry land training, not like getting on snow, but just getting in the gym to make sure that I'm healthy and strong enough is super tough. Yeah. How important is like the gym stuff you're doing? I don't know if you do CrossFit or cross training or whatever else. How important is that to snowboarding? Because I've like, I was a weird guy in surfing that I was training for surfing before it was a cool thing to do. Um, going to the gym and, and doing stuff. Uh, and, and granted it did not lead to a career or a podium finish or an Olympic team birth for me, but it, it led me to a passion for fitness and training for golf now. So how important was that? Is that to you? And, uh, uh, yeah. Tell us a little bit of that story, the training part. Yeah. So I, I'm really fortunate uh, to be on the, the national team. We have access to some pretty amazing resources. Yeah. Um, I have a full-time strength and conditioning coach. So when you say like, Oh, CrossFit, like I have a hyper-specific sport specific training regimen that has been developed with me and, and my teammates, like it changes every year. Hey, we did a, you know, an eight week strength block last year and a six week power block. So we're going to, we're going to change those up a little bit, but I have been working with like a full-time strength and conditioning coach for 
a decade now. We started 2008, maybe was when I first started working with her. Um, I mentioned earlier, I, I went to a ski academy. So I started training in the gym at a really young age. I mean, I was 15 when we started training in the gym and I was mainly in freestyle and you're using this, the gym and the, the strength training as a way to stay healthy. We take some yeah. really, really hard falls. And if your hamstrings wait, wait, aren't hold on, I've never been more sore than after snowboarding. Not, and I didn't really <laughs> fall that hard. Like I'm not good. Like, I can do some jumps and I can do some like stalefish grabs and like indie grabs and stuff like that. Um, but I don't take hard falls really, but I've never been more sore than, than after snowboarding. It's interesting. I mean, I, as a surfer, I would think you'd have at least some of the muscles. I think I, I, I'm a terrible surfer. I love it, but yeah. I, I'm awful. I think that you got, you guys ride a little bit more on your front foot than we do. Like, for, yeah. Yeah. So you like snowboarding you're more with your, with your back foot and your back hip, right? Whereas surfing you're steering with, or you're controlling where you're going with like your front shoulder and the front of your body, the front hip, the front of your hips. So it's a little different. The balance is the same, but it's a little, different. I just, I, I would think that like the, the, the muscles you use in snowboarding are pretty unique. Like there's, the, you know, when I first started, the joke was like, oh yeah, I'm going to ride myself into shape. Like I got to, I got to get out and get on my snowboard and ride a bunch to like get ready for the winter. Yeah. <clears throat> the sport has progressed so much since I've been a part of it. <clears throat> Excuse me. Sorry. Uh, yeah. that that's, that's not really an option anymore. Like in snowboard cross in particular, like you have to be very physically fit yeah. just to, to be able to hang like the nuances of like power and, and your plyometrics and stuff like that. There are a certain number of athletes out there that rely much more on talent than they do on, um, physical aspects. There's a lot of, you know, touch and nuance that, that comes from generating speed in snowboard cross. I have a teammate that is one of the greatest that's ever raced and he is not, um, he, he goes to the gym and he trained when, when he was competing, but it wasn't something that was like a passion of his. And that's not where he found his success. It wasn't from his strength. He did yeah. all of that to make sure that when he took the crashes, he could get up and keep going again. Yeah. And he had a really long career, like really long, really successful. Um, but he did it from talent. And I, for me personally, have found that I rely probably a little bit more on the conditioning. Like I have to be stronger and fitter to, to be successful. There are certain aspects of, of my snowboarding that are talent based, but I would, I believe that, um, I've gotten the success that I have because of the, the time that I've put in the gym. And to the same point of what you're talking about, when I first got into it, they was not a thing. Like fitness was not a thing that snowboarders did. You, you got made fun of, for, for being a jock and going to the gym and working out. Yeah. And now at the top level, everybody works out all the freestyle athletes. Like they don't, they may not train the same way that I do, but they're in the gym and they are strong and they are athletes. Yeah. Um, and that's a, that's a big shift that's happened in the last 15 years. Yeah. And I think that on that point and shifting more into to golf, golf is kind of in that place right now. And sorry if you can hear babies screaming in the background. I have a uh, six-month-old twins this week. Oh. Um, and yeah, are they, are they yours? They are mine. I have twins. Congrats! Uh, my Congrats. wife and I had them, or she had them. I was just a, a part of the process, <laughs> short um, part of the process. <laughs> yeah, uh, she had them in July, so we're they're they're six-month-old. Six months. Congrats! Old. And uh, sometimes you can hear them in the background of the podcast. Sometimes you can't. Um, Dad, hey, you know what? It's dad life. I hope people can appreciate how hard it is to be a parent, especially with kids that young. So you got to do it at do. the same time. Exactly. Um, so anyways, I think golf is in the same, is in that place right now where like, it's not cool to work out. Like you still see people and the, the average golfer that's just there to drink or smoke or do whatever, have a good time, have their vodka and then play golf. But at the top level of the sport, everybody's training. And one of the things that I am trying to shed some light on to an average golfer is like, Hey, it's really important that you're training or that you should be training or the very least stretching because golf is a violent sport when you break it down to like what we do. Right. Um, 
it's it's and great. it's hi, hi, hyper repetitive too. You're doing the mm -hmm. same motion over and over again. You look at like the how many I I was always when I was younger. Now that I'm getting older, I'm like, how do golfers have so many back problems? Like you're swinging a club, but now that I I play all the time and I do range sessions and all that sort of stuff, um, I get it. But to your point, you swing improperly. Like if you have if you have a, a over the top swing and you're one of the humpers of the golf ball and you hit a big slice you're going to have so much more back problems than somebody that hits a, a hook or a draw or, or comes out to in rather than in to out. Yeah. Um, I, I think for me, one thing that's important to say, there's nothing wrong with those guys that want to go out and drink beers and do that. Like, Oh, you absolutely. Know, I don't discriminate. That's fun sometimes. Yeah. And I think that, that for me, when I was younger, I think I was a chip on my shoulder, but hopefully now, we can be at the point where like the guy that wants to go out and drink beers doesn't have anything against the dude that wants to like grind on the range and get fit and stretch and, and get ready just as much as the guy in the range doesn't think that he's any better than the guy that shows up, you know, hung over and wants to like go out and just like whack balls with his buddies. Yeah. And I, what I have observed and, you know, now that I'm more, much more golf obsessed and pay attention to, you know, PGA tour and the LPGA and, and that sort of stuff, I think, if you look at history, Tiger really, he was training you oh, know, absolutely. 20 years ago and he dominated the sport. And I, I don't think anyone trained at the, I, I don't know personally, I'm obviously not in that world, but I don't know anybody that trained as hard as he did. Gary Player he, did in the 50s yeah. or the 60s, you know, yeah. like, and, and look at how good he was. Dude, he was one of the best right there with Jack and, and Arnie uh, and, and you can pull up pictures and videos of Gary player, like lifting weights, lifting weights before anybody else. And he's 85 years old. I can't wait to go to Scottsdale and meet him at the PXG thing uh, at the PXG headquarters because, and just, and just pick his brain. Like what led you to do that when nobody else was training? Like literally Arnold Palmer was smoking cigarettes or Jack Nicholas <laughs> was smoking cigarettes, walking down the fairway and you're doing pushups. Like what yeah. led you to say, this is the way to do it. Yeah. And so obviously like, I think that Gary player is sort of the, he is, uh, I can't think of the right word, but he was the first and that's how he's like, still, you know, like there's the joke about how many pushups he still does every day and, yeah. and that sort of stuff. But I think people have realized like, as technology has advanced, we have a much better understanding of the way the human body works. And so now they can do swing analysis and understand like, yeah, like if your core isn't engaged and strong, you like your obliques aren't rotating properly. Like you're not going to generate as much speed. Yeah. I think what's interesting about what Bryson's doing right now is everyone's talking about how he's bulking up. But if you listen to him talk about all the MAT work, muscle activation technique, I think is what it's called. Yeah. How like, I don't think that that really gets talked about as enough. I I've experienced that sort of, I would consider it PT, you know, um, physiotherapy, yeah. um, more so than training. And I, I have the amount of ailments I have is staggering. Um, I have a very short swing cause I am very immobile from a lot of injuries, but, um, I think that that doesn't really get enough credit for, the success that he has had, like, yeah, he got bigger and he got stronger, but when you get bigger and stronger, you have to be mobile to be able to yeah. do that. Yeah. And DJ gets all this credit for the power that he has, right? Like I remember when he first came out hearing about his like vertical jump and his, you know, how strong he was. But if you look at the mobility that he has in his swing, like that is so important to be able to like get into the positions that he does. Oh yeah. Um, so at this point, like I can rely on my, my training from snowboarding to, for strength, you know, and like speed and golf, but I definitely do a lot of yoga now to try and a stay healthy, be like, it's just, <clears throat> it's just the nature of, of being a, an action sports athlete. But also I notice a difference if I'm like limber and I go and play golf, like when I'm stiff, like I, the ball is not going where I'm aiming and yeah. it hurts. And so mobility, I think is is an underrated tool. Yeah. There, I think that's one of the most underrated things when you start talking about golf training or, 
or working out for golf. You go to the country club I'm a member at or the one that I, I live in, Porter's Neck, you go and you see the guys working out. They're doing spin classes and they're doing the strength classes and they're doing stuff with the, uh, what are the yellow bands called? Um, TRX. TRX bands, thank you. Uh, they're doing stuff with TRX bands to help build some some strength but if you're not doing the mobility, you're not going to be able to hit the ball the way you want. Like you look at DJ as a great example. I went to college with DJ. Um, I went to Coastal Carolina. He was a senior when I was a freshman, I believe. Um, and he's just a freak athlete, like absolutely 100% freak athlete. Genetics, man. Genetics. There's a, a story here in Wilmington where I live because I live about an hour and a half away from a Myrtle Beach, where Coastal Carolina is, where I'm from. And he has the course record at one of the country clubs here in town. And it, it, this could be a complete rumor. I'm going to say it. I've never said it on the podcast before. So if this is wrong, DJ, please do not send me some sort of a correction. Yeah, please don't send me a letter. Uh, but the rumor is that he has the course record at this course, which he does. And the night before he shot the course record, he spent all night at a strip club getting drunk. And then he showed up five minutes for his tea time, hammered, covered in glitter, and shot a 61, which is the course record at uh, Landfall Country Club or Country Club Landfall, whatever it's called. He's just a freak athlete. I think he's an anomaly. But you look at guys like Brooks or, or um, JT or John Rom or any of those people, they're all training, every one of them. Bryson, is, 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 you mentioned him, is a great example. He's doing some crazy things in terms of putting on weight, but he's not overlooking the fact of how important mobility is to the golf swing. Yeah. It's, it's just interesting. You know, like Bryson is sort of this like spotlight. It's easy. Everyone's talking. He was the story of 2020, you know, like he's just a lightning rod for controversy, right? Exactly. No matter what he's doing, there's going to be people that love it or people that hate it. First, it was the one length clubs. Then it was, um, there was something in between that and the gaining weight. There's one link clubs. His hats. I mean, his weird kangaroo hats uh, is is another one. Kangle hats looks like yep. Sam Jackson in in as Shaft. Um, and uh, yeah, like he, he's just a, a a lightning rod for controversy and and differentiated differentiating opinions. Yeah, and I think he brings that on himself, right? Like he, oh, I, I think he knows what he's doing. Um, but it's just, it's an easy thing to, to look at. And the way that I've heard a lot of like the golf, I don't know, the golf industry talk about how the next generation of golfers that's going to come up watching Bryson hit it 350 and try and swing. I don't know what his swing speeds are, but he's looking for like 200 ball speed, right? The amount of players that are going to come up seeing that like how it will change. I think a lot of people are going to get hurt because they don't realize all of the other things other than just getting big and swinging hard that are involved in like the holistic picture of being an athlete. Yeah. I think it's just going to lead to more athletes playing the game of golf and golfers becoming better athletes. Like snowboarders have become better athletes from the time you started training to now everybody's considered an athlete basketball, Football, same thing. You can look back at the pictures of the first Super Bowl and dudes are drinking Coca-Cola and smoking cigarettes at halftime, right? <laughs> like, and now they're getting like blood transfusions and weird stuff in the locker rooms. Like there's not a cigarette in, in sight. I mean, no. maybe in the cars, but neither here nor there. Yeah. Um, everything has, a, has, has this natural way of changing. And I think this is golf's natural way of becoming more athletic and less golf channel-y, less preppy, more along the lines of a real sport. Like golf's always been a sport, but it's just it, the general consumer, the general golfer hasn't looked at it like that. They've looked at it as a pastime they do on Saturdays with their friends, whereas now people are looking at it as a sport. Yeah, and I think what golf does, what snowboarding has, the, the winter sports have a, have a similar sort of opportunity. Golf has been looked at as a game, Yes. not as a sport. Right. So you look at the people at the, the highest echelon, like they are elite athletes, all of them, men, women, like they are all elite athletes. What I think golf has, and also what I have learned about snowboarding 
for me, I will snowboard for the rest of my life. My dad is 66 years old, 67, and he still shreds. Like yeah. he still, he, he actually, some winters, he probably gets more days than I do. And I plan on playing golf as long as I can. And while you're in it as an athlete, while I am competing, I'm, I get pigeonholed um, as being a jock or whatever it is, but snowboarding and I believe golf is also a lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I say that in that, think about guys that grew up playing football. You think about like the NFL greats or Phelps is a really easy example from swimming. If I have a day off and it's snowing outside, like it's dumping snow, and I'm not training, you better believe that I'm going to be out on the hill snowboarding because I love snowboarding. But if Phelps has a day off from training, I don't think that he's going to go get in the pool to just like lap around. No, no. And you look at, it's the same insert. Like there's very few sports that have that or pastimes or games or whatever, golf, snowboarding, snow sports, and surfing are the only ones that could be considered a lifestyle as well as a sport sport or a game pastime, right? Like there's golf brands, there's snowboarding brands, Jones, Burton, the list goes on K2, the list goes on surf. There's surf brands, Hurley that I worked for Quicksilver, Billabong, same ones golf. There's Callaway, there's Travis Matthew, there's link soul brands that evolve from people loving the game. You don't have that in baseball or soccer or football or whatever or basketball, there's athletic brands, there's Nike, there's Puma, there's whatever else, but there's not a like industry and a culture that's unique to that sport. There's a culture unique to golf and it is white hat, navy blue, po- navy blue pants or navy blue polo, khaki pants, like white shoes. Yep. You any country club in the Southeast or on the East coast and you can see it. Oh yeah, for sure. And what I think, you know, what I, what I see is happening now is that aspect of golf is changing. And Eric mentioned this when I chatted with him and I'd never really thought of it. Like golf is cool now, you yeah. know, like you can it's go getting, out and play. It's getting there for sure. It, yeah. And it, it has stigmas that it has, that we'll have to overcome. Um, but as people that are in it, like, I love to just go out and like play six holes in a t-shirt, you know, like running shoes, like if I'm going to go play at like a, a country club or a nice place, like, yeah, I'm going to wear like nice pants. I'm going to tuck my shirt in. Like I'm going to clean my golf shoes. And also I went out and played yesterday, two days ago with my buddy, like there's snow on the ground here in salt Lake. Like yeah. there's literally snow on the greens and you're like, screw it. Like you slice a ball, whatever. Hey, just drop one up there. Like it's, it's just this, it has this approachability about it now. Um, that I think is what we are seeing as part of golf culture change yeah. the the image of the sport. And I think Tiger had a lot to do with that. And now, you know, Brooks and DJ, like they will have as, as much to do with that. I think Michelle, Wee, you know, like she came out as this child prodigy and then she became this like style icon. And yeah. there are these figures now that are helping, uh, helping evolve the image of golf. And I, and to the point of this, this was, it it was interesting the way, like Eric asked me about this in like, why are there so many action sports athletes that are playing golf now? Kelly, Kelly is an obvious, like an Kelly Slater is an easy one. Like the dude is golf obsessed. Yeah. But but it's not just Wilson. Yeah. Yeah. And it, I'm seeing it in snowboarding as well now. And it's interesting to see younger kids that I know that are, <clears throat> more in the freestyle aspect of, of snowboarding, like play golf. Yeah. I'm like, Dude, you guys, you guys play like even in skateboarding too. Like skateboarding is the ultimate counterculture sport to the point where they're pissed. Like surfers are stoked that they're in the Olympics. It's like, this is this cool thing. We're seen as real athletes, like snowboarders. I'm sure you guys were upset initially when they said, Oh, snowboarding is in the Olympics now. Um, skaters just still, I know a bunch of skaters. They're just unhappy that skater, that skateboarding is in the Olympics. But you get guys like Sean Malto and uh, Paul Rodriguez and, and a few other guys that, that play golf to the point where Nike has uh, released golf skate shoes. Like, and they're dope, by and the way. And they're sick. Like, I can't wait to get a pair. But uh, it, it's becoming cool. And then the people that are in the countercultures that have always been seen as this, like, 
as the cool kids in, in lifestyle are playing golf. It's, it's crazy. I'm trying to look, I'm looking for, cause I, I don't really understand what the, um, what has brought so many, um, action sports athletes over to, um, golf, golf. This is and, my thought. And this is me being an action sports athlete. Um, not at the highest level of the sport, but I, I grew up surfing. I grew up competing in surfing and I grew up golfing as well. But I think there's a direct correlation between surfing, snowboarding, skating, and golf, because they're all individual sports. They're all like you competing against nature, right? Like you can go, like I can go out and play golf today and be competing against the course more than I'm competing against anybody else. You're competing against yourself, right? And it's the same with the action sports, the surfings, the snowboardings and skating. I think that in combination with all those people are always traveling and you always have down days and you're like, well, what are we going to do on a down day? Like, yep. uh, you sit around, you twiddle your thumbs and you go drink. Like that's not always doable when you want to perform the next day. Okay. Well, let's find something to do. Golf is always there no matter where you are in the world. Yeah. And <clears throat> yeah, I, I mean, the, the, the downtime thing, I think is a great example. I heard a bunch about it in the, um, the bubble in the NBA. I don't know mm -hmm. if you, I can't remember. I was listening to it on a, a podcast or in a sports update where there were how often the guys in the NBA bubble, they're like, Oh, we don't have a game today. Let's go and play. And like yeah. how many NBA players are getting out there and, and the access I think is one of them. Like there are golf courses everywhere. And for, you know, you talked about it for me, I love golf because it's a way for me to compete against myself. Same skateboarding, surfing, like, yeah, they're in surfing, you're serving against another guy in heat, but you're also like, you're always but, surfing against yourself, but you could always not surf competitively. Just like yeah. you can always not snowboard competitively. And you yep. can always not golf competitively. Like I can go out and surf tomorrow and I'm not surfing against anybody, but myself. It's the same thing. Yeah. And you're, for me, the, I, I always enjoy the, the analogy for me is like in surfing, I can go out and just get my ass handed to me for an entire session, like just closeouts and missing it. And I, I catch one wave and I'm like, oh yeah, this is the greatest thing on the planet. Yeah. And golf, you can go out there and you can just like hit all of these shots and have everything go wrong. And then you like pure a seven iron and you're like, oh yeah, that's why I love this game. Like it is yeah. so, this is awesome. And There's then always that, that's that one it. shot that brings you back to the course the next day. You're like, all right, I can do that again. It makes it so frustrating too, because you always know like you're standing over, you have 100, you have 150 yards to the green. You're standing over an eight iron or nine iron or seven iron, whatever you hit. And you're like, oh man, if I get, if I pure this one, this is in the hole. And then you shake it. And you know, you can, you've done it before. Yeah. How many good nine irons have you hit 150 yards? Like tons, but you have Every to be able to the range. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Best golf in the world on the range. Yeah. Um, but it's, yeah, it's, I don't know. I, I, I am in love with the game of golf right now. Um, I'm sure that will sort of come and go for me. It it's changed because of my access. I moved to Utah. I, I lived in Colorado for, for 10 years. Um, and there wasn't quite as much public golf in the area that I lived. Um, but I moved to Salt Lake city a few years ago and there are from my, my house in Salt Lake, there are probably 15 golf courses within a 20 mile radius. Wow. That's awesome. all of them are, are open. Some of them are more expensive than others, but the municipal golf here, there's a nine hole course, you know, a mile from, from my place in Salt Lake that is $11 to go play great conditioning, fun to play easy to get out. And it's like, well, yeah, I, I trained, I trained all morning. What am I going to do this afternoon? Like, oh, I'm just going to go out and play nine holes. And then it's just like, oh, why don't I go check out this golf course? So the access for me here, I play so much because there's so much of it. I lived in Los Angeles for, for a year for Lululemon. I was just down there. <clears throat> 
for about a year. And I didn't play nearly as much because it's, it's, it's harder to get to. It's yeah. much more expensive. Um, getting around the city is challenging and there are options and the culture there. Um, I played, I lived on the West side of LA. I was in Santa Monica. There's a place in Venice, mm -hmm. uh, Penmar. It's a mm -hmm. little, it's like part threes and part fours. Mm -hmm. There's a group course. Yeah. Yeah. Airport right next to the airport. Um, pretty cheap to play super slow rounds, but the people that play there are are committed. They love the game of golf. Yeah. I, I was fortunate to play at, at, you know, like at LACC, LA country club, like one of the more exclusive clubs in the, the world, world I, I would say. Yeah. And it was amazing. Was it amazing? Like, yeah, it was all time, but the, the difference in like the passion of the people that you're playing with is, is interesting. And so for me personally, I'm playing a lot right now because it's, it's easy to access. Um, and I think now that, that I've fallen in love with the game as hard as I have, I will make a point to wherever I go, make sure that I'm still playing. Cause in LA, like I used to drive an hour to go play, you yeah. know, like I drive an hour to go pay $70 to play. Whereas like when I was down, you know, like when I was in Salt Lake, I could drive six minutes and play, you know, pay 11 bucks. Like this is yeah. a big difference, but yeah, I I'm, I'm addicted. I mean, yeah. there's no other way to, I'm, I'm, I'm all in. So same. And, it, and the good thing about golf is like you can play for almost your entire life. Like my grandfather had to recently stop playing because he had hip surgery. He just can't turn his hips anymore. So, but he'll still out. Like I'm still trying to get him to go out with me and chip a couple of balls and just ride him around in the cart or putt or whatever, but you can play golf almost your whole life. You can't do that. You can't say you can do that for any other sports. You can't do other football not baseball and a basketball snowboarding kind of your dad's 67. He's still shredding. Um, but the, at some point you're like, I can't take these falls anymore. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I, it's the same way. My grandfather who taught introduced me to the game. Um, you know, I, I played with growing up, he played until with like the, you know, within the last, I would say two years of his life, you yeah. know, he had, a, he had a bunch of surgeries and, and complications and stuff that kept him off, but like he was out there. Yeah. I mean, my grandfather, his name's Joe. He shot his age when he was 69, shot 68 on his 69th birthday. And I was like, well, that's, uh, that's the goal. Just that's goals, life goals. Be that good that long that I can shoot in the 60s, high 60s when I am 60s. So if I can ever shoot in the 60s, I'll be stoked. <laughs> Same. I'm still trying to break 80. It'll come. Yeah. Well, I've done it like three times before I had this whole like social media presence around the game of golf, around golf, around golf lifestyle, whatever. Um, the last time I did it was the day before I proposed to my wife when we were living in California, I was working at Nike and uh, went out on, a, on Fridays. We had half days in the summer. And so went out in the half day, played Costa Mesa country club, a public track right there in Costa Mesa, super slow rounds. Like you said, people that are playing there love the game of golf and uh, yeah, I was walking 18 and shot 78, but that was the last time. Now I try, I'm trying to recreate that, uh, get better. So that can be like the normal round, not the, the outline. I've, I've broken 80 enough now where I like, it, it's interesting. Like to that, the point we talked about when we first started is like expectations. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, well I've, I've shot 74 before. Like, why can't I go out and shoot 74 today? Yeah. And it, it like gets away from you or like, front nine, you have a couple bogeys and you're like, Oh, you start to tighten up. You're like, Oh, I got to make some birdies to get my score back. And it's amazing how on all of my best rounds, you just like sort of playing and you're like, yeah, it's like, I'm hitting it well, or you're playing a game against your buddies. So you're, you're not focusing on that number on the scorecard. Yeah. I think the more that you focus on, like, I got to break 80, the more, the harder it will be. Uh, Whereas absolutely. if you just think like, man, I really need to like, just lag this putt up there. Oh, I just, I just need it. Like, I just it's need to get it up to yeah, pin it's high. the small wins within the round. I mean, you don't take the small wins in golf is what you said, but it's the small wins in golf in the round that I've learned that are going to get me to where I want to be. Like it's, it's always going to be hard because I'm always going to have this pressure of like, Oh, I'm doing it. And I'm trying to talk about it on social media at the same time. But so I, I can never, it's like throwing a, a no hitter in baseball. Like I'm in a position where I can't not talk about it. So I'll probably never do it, but I think I'm going to take like this year, 
it's going to happen. 100%. I have my goals written down for the year. And in that list, along with some other things is you have to break 80 and you have to get close to breaking 70. Like there's no reason why I can't, I've seen my swing. People have seen my swing. I watch my ball, my, my swing, my ball path on the driving range. There's no way I, I there's no reason why I can't. So it's, just it's all between the ears, you know, like that's, to okay. me, that's what happened. Like in snowboarding, it's not like all of a sudden I got way better. I learned that if I focused on the things that I have control over and I choose, if I was going to go out and I was going to play in a competitive round, my goals would be today I'm going to, you know, keep my hands low at impact. I'm going to, um, I, I'm trying to think about like, keep my weight on my front foot for chips yeah. and I'm gonna like play to the fat side of the green, regardless of what happens. If, like if it's windy or the, my playing partner goes low or any of those things, if I shoot 85 or I shoot 75 and I have focused on those three things that I, those small three things that I have complete control over, yeah, then I can walk off the golf course saying like, okay, I didn't, I didn't shoot the score I wanted, but I did win today. I, yeah. I, these are, these are the things that I, I accomplished and you can take those into the next round. And I think, especially in golf, if you're focusing on those small things and not that number on the end of the scorecard, it will come a lot easier. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. 2021 is the year for it though. I, God, I don't know. I don't, I don't haven't set my golf goals yet. I got to think about it. I'm glad you got me thinking about it. Think about it. Think about it and get back to me. Um, but before that, let, let's, uh, let's wrap this up. Where can people find you? Where can people follow you? You have a podcast too. Where can they listen to your pod? Um, give us, give us the information. The podcast has been a little dormant for a while as, as I started my career at Lululemon, I haven't been able to <laughs> sort of focus as much time and energy in it, but I am just starting to record a couple more episodes. Um, it's the Alex Diebold show. You can find it on iTunes, um, Spotify, Spotify all, all the places. Um, Probably the most active on Instagram at adbold, a d e i b o l d. Sometimes I tweet. I'm on Twitter every once in a while, but Twitter's uh, accessible. It's great for golf. It is great for golf. The golf Twitter's nice. Everything golf, else is. is I mean, it, 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 golf Twitter can can be a dumpster fire for sure. Don't get me <laughs> wrong, but um, it's just great to like keep up with with tournaments and stuff like that. But yeah, yeah those are good for news. Um, that's where I'm at. I'm, I'm definitely probably the most active on Instagram, and um, yeah. Give me a follow. Say awesome. what's up. Awesome. Well, dude, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for uh, the time. I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, 2020 is the year. 2021. Oh, 2020 is bad. 2021 is the year to break 80 for me. And, and you got to set your goals. Yeah, we got to go low. It's great chatting with you, Blair. Thanks so much for having me on. Thanks, man. What are you doing? You're still here. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being a part of the Golf and Stuff podcast. I appreciate you guys. I appreciate you listening. Please give it a five-star review on iTunes or Spotify. If you have any uh, guests you want to hear from, send me a message on Instagram or other social media platforms. But for real, I appreciate you guys. I appreciate you listening and look forward to the next episode.